Thank you so much for being with us today at Engage Boise. It's a beautiful day to be at church. If you're brand new or if for some reason I have never met you, I'd love to say hello after church. Uh, you can usually find me out there by the front doors wandering in the foyer, drinking my coffee, wearing my jacket in case it gets cold. Uh, I want to say a quick thank you for those of you that were at our business meeting, involved in our business meeting, annual business meeting last week. My first one is part of this church. It was a great time together. It was a rousing success. We had good foods. We used the new food. We used the new kitchen. Uh, so thank you for helping it be awesome. We passed our new bylaws too. It was all good. And thanks for being a part of it. Um, just a pleasure to be a part of this church. Uh, there's places where you they say the word annual business meeting. It's kind of like a four-letter word. And uh, it's not that way here. I appreciate that very, very much. I also want to make mention of our podcast that we have up and going. It's especially useful when we're doing a series like we're doing today, we're, or in the next month or two, we're going through a book of the Bible. So if you miss uh, a part, um, I'm not going to recap that much each week, just a, a little bit of the week before. So if you miss one, the podcast is a great way to find it. If you are a podcast person, you can take out your phone, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, just search Engage Boise. Pastor Lucas is helping me make that happen. It gets uploaded every Tuesday, just kind of take depends on how long it takes to process, but we upload that thing on Tuesdays. We're really endeavoring to make sure that the quality is similar to what you'd hear on any other podcast. So if you're a podcast listener, ours hopefully will be the same volume as the other ones you listen to. So you don't have to turn your radio up, you know, to 99 in order to hear it in your car. And then when it goes back to your regular music, it blows you out, right? We're trying to keep the quality up pretty high. And I should encourage you, go find that. Um, it's an awesome thing that we have been able to do. Uh, it's just helpful as we're going through a book of the Bible uh, like that. Like I said, we'll take communion at the end of church. I'm excited about that. Today we're going to be finishing Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be covering verse 15 through 23, if you would like to be ready. Um, I've titled it this morning, Thanksgiving, Prayer, and Power. Thanksgiving, Prayer, and Power. Uh, in our first week, two weeks ago, we talked about how we are chosen, loved, and adopted by God. God's done all three of those things. He's chosen us, he loves us. And he's adopted us. That's verses 1 through 6. Last week we talked about God's kindness, how God is kind. and He's got a plan for us. And he's got a purpose for our lives. We actually read this passage from Romans last week that talks about how God's kindness leads us to repentance. God is so kind, he leads us to repentance. Now repentance includes redemption and forgiveness and the riches of God's grace. It's better than we could ever imagine. We talked about how uh, there's a plan and a purpose. How when we accept Christ, we gain wisdom and understanding to know that plan and purpose that God has for us. And how often there is some mystery in God's plan, and it's okay for there to be mystery. There's some mystery in life, there's mystery in God's plan. We're going to talk more about wisdom and understanding today, actually. It turns out it's a popular theme in Ephesians chapter 1. We talked last week, and this is so important, about how God's grace is for everyone. How back in Bible times, it would have blown their minds for Jewish people to think that Gentiles could, could know the good news, could know the gospel, and know Jesus, know God. Finally, we ended up talking about how when we accept Christ, God places his seal on us in the form of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit comes, regenerates us, and it's God's stamp of ownership on us. Puts a stamp on us, and he says, I'm coming back for this person. I'm coming back for John. Not just people named John, but Jesus myself as an example, you know. Remember also at the basis of that first section, we talked about why we praise God. We praise him because we're chosen, loved, and adopted. We praise him for his kindness, his plan, and his purpose. 
And if we could say the overarching theme of that first part of chapter 1 was praise, we can say the overarching theme of the rest of it is prayer. And that brings us to this last part of chapter 1, verse uh, 15 through 23, to thankfulness, to prayer, and to power. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. Let's read those verses together. They'll be on the screen. I'm reading in the uh, NIV this morning. Uh, Let's read together, starting in verse 15, thanksgiving and prayer. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Thankfulness, prayer, and power. The first thing we see in here is thankfulness. In verse 15 and 16, I just want to... Uh, reread those first couple of verses. There's a couple important things. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Thankfulness is a really interesting thing. Very interesting. Paul teaches us, I think, quite a bit what it means to be thankful just in these couple of sentences here in verses 15 and 16. First of all, there are reasons that Paul is giving thanks as he writes this letter. And those reasons would be everything contained in what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. The reason for Paul's thankfulness is that we as God's people, both Jews and Gentiles, and the Ephesians he's writing to, he's thankful that they're chosen, they're loved, and they're adopted. He's thankful that the people of Ephesus are walking right into what he feels God has for them. The reason for Paul's thankfulness is that for us as God's people, God has in store kindness. And a plan and a purpose. And the Ephesians, by God's grace, they're gaining wisdom and understanding. Those are the things Paul is saying he's thankful for. The reason Paul is giving thanks is because the people of Ephesus, they have faith in Jesus, love for God's people. Those are the things that are in the scriptures there. But let's kind of zoom out and, and take a moment and think about Paul's situation here. He's not writing this after just getting off the phone with someone in Ephesus, right? They, they didn't have phones then, but... In fact, he's, he's not even writing it having just left. He didn't have a conversation with someone and get on Facebook and post a picture and be like, oh, I had coffee with my best friend today. I'm so glad they know the Lord. Remember when and where Paul wrote this, right? He wrote this 60 or 62 AD, about 30 years after Jesus died, resurrected, went to heaven. But remember, Paul's not a free man here. Paul's under house arrest in Rome, and this is one of the letters we call The prison epistles. Also, if you'll recall, historians think this letter circulated among other communities before it found its way to Ephesus. All that to say, Paul does not know every single person who's reading this letter. It's not like today where we address it to a household and we send it off. Remember, he had to give it to a trusted friend. The trusted friend had to take it. He only knows 
what information he'd have gotten from messengers returning from Ephesus with a letter, maybe by word of mouth, but Ephesus was hundreds of miles away. So it's not an easy journey uh, with no cars. All these things come together, and I think they help us know something really important about Paul. You see, Paul, in this instance, he was not thankful because of his circumstances. Paul was thankful because of what was inside of his heart. You see, Paul doesn't even know exactly who's reading this, but what does he say? He doesn't even know who's reading it. He doesn't know when it's going to get there, but what does he say? I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I believe that Paul's words and actions here tell us in 2022 something very important, and that's this. Thankfulness is on a measure of what we have, but a measure of the condition of our heart. Thankfulness has everything to do with what's inside of us. Whether or not you or I are thankful, it has absolutely zero to do with what we have. Whether or not you are thankful has zero to do with the things that you have. I'm not saying it's bad to have good or nice things. Just that those things, they don't decide whether we're truly thankful or not. We decide before we ever have the things. One way, though, that we can measure the state of our heart is uh, when it comes to thankfulness, is in how we handle the things of this world. We are so blessed. I was going to look up the statistic. I used to quote it as a youth pastor all the time. But in America, even if you're one of the poorest people in America, you're still one of the richest people in the world percentage-wise. We are so, so blessed to live in America. And we can measure the state of our heart when we talk about how we handle the blessings of this world. I have found something really interesting, and that's this. Hardship tends to make us more thankful. I'm not setting myself up as a perfect example here, but I have a, a, just a, a silly thing from over the summer. Has anyone ever played that game Tetris before? Tetris, a few people. A few people, ch children of the 90s, played Tetris with the, with the Russian music, you know. Has anyone ever played the uh, lesser-known game Fridge Tetris? That's where you have way too much stuff for your fridge, and you have to fit all the pieces inside there. This is a game we play a lot at my house because when my wife cooks, she likes to cook a lot all at once. And what happens is there's too much stuff for the fridge. So here's what I end up doing. She's not great at the putting the stuff in the fridge part. She makes the food, I put it in the fridge. So what happens is she says, dear, I need you to come fridge Tetris this for me. So what that means is I take everything out of the fridge, right? And I start, I like envision it, like packing a moving truck, right? <laughs> Just put the you know, the containers and the things in there, and I've, I put things in drawers I didn't even know existed, and I put the cheese in the vegetable drawer, you know, whatever, whatever I can do to get it all in there. Now, some of you are thinking, man, you could solve this problem if you just had an extra refrigerator in your garage, and you are 100% correct. And over the summer, I decided I wanted to have a, uh, a garage fridge. I wanted to have a garage fridge. Problem is, I didn't have a job. And we just decided, you know, while we were waiting on the Lord for where we were going to be, we weren't going to be buying extra things. I really wanted a garage fridge. <laughs> we didn't get to have a garage fridge. And eventually I got a job. I kind of forgot about it. You know, we ended up here and we were busy. And someone gave us a fridge. And now we have a garage fridge. Chandra, yeah, thank you, Lord. Chandra can tell you, I probably commented 10 times, like, how good I felt about a garage fridge that we probably could have bought for 50 bucks on Craigslist. But I was so thankful because of a little hardship in the summer. The only hardship was I had to take the stuff out of the fridge to fit all the stuff in, right? It wasn't that big of a deal. 
But I was so grateful for that garage fridge when I got it. So we can ask ourselves, friends, how do we handle it when, when God gives us good stuff on this earth? How do we handle it when we don't get to have the garage fridge as early as we want? And we can really zoom it out even farther because we see things here uh, that are making Paul thankful. Things that are eternal and not temporal. Things that last forever, things that don't just happen and go away. Verse 15 says that he's thankful for what? The people's faith in Jesus and their love for one another. Those are the things Paul says he's thankful for. Those are two things that cannot be taken away by anything in this world. Paul, at this point, he doesn't have much else. He's stuck in prison in Rome. He doesn't know if or when he'll ever get out. But we just read it. He said, right, it was in those verses 15, 16, he never stops giving thanks for them. He's in prison, doesn't even know if his letter's going to get out, but he never stops giving thanks for them. One more thing about thankfulness that I feel like we see in this scripture is Paul's not thanking the Lord continually for the Ephesians because they're perfect people. He's not like, oh, my, my brother so-and-so, he's finally got it figured out. Now I can be thankful for them. As we move forward in Ephesians, we're going to see that he spends the whole second half of it instructing the Ephesian people and whoever this letter goes to you on how to live a good Christian life. He's looking for and he's finding flashes of goodness in God's heart in these people. And for those things, he's finding a reason to encourage them. And what Paul is doing here, it can be really difficult to do. It's really easy to be critical, but it takes someone close to God's heart to see the good in others. And being critical is easy. It can be difficult to see the good in people when things are hard. No matter the situation you find yourself in, like Paul did when he was in prison. Right, so Paul here, he is thankful. He's not thankful because of his situation, but he's thankful because of his heart. Because of the eternally good things going on in the Ephesian community. And he's looking for reasons to be thankful for them. When I have a thankful heart, uh, we can start asking the Lord to help us look for reasons to be thankful. The end of verse 16 actually kind of leads us into this next section, which is prayer. Paul here begins to spray, spell out the prayers he's praying for the Ephesian people. Let's read verse 17 through 19 together here quickly. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul said something really interesting up there in verse 16 a couple minutes ago that I want to revisit. He said in verse 16 something that's really similar to what he says in 17. If you've got your Bible, you can kind of mark this up. In, in verse 16, Paul said, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. In verse 17, Paul says, I keep asking. These are both echoes of something Paul also wrote in his letter to the Thessalonians when he told them to pray without ceasing. Now, obviously, Paul's not uh, eyes closed praying every moment of the day. You can't do normal life with your eyes closed praying 24-7. Right? That would make it difficult to drive to work. That would make it difficult to make a peanut butter sandwich. Make it difficult to feed your goldfish. Right? I mean, it would make life pretty difficult if your eyes were closed praying 24-7. 
particularly it would make driving a car very dangerous. Imagine that. You know why I pulled you over? Well, officer, I was praying. Sorry. But what Paul is saying here in verse 16 and 17 is his heart was remaining in an attitude of prayer as often as possible. He's keeping his heart in a certain attitude. So these people, the Ephesians at this point in time, they're never far from his mind and heart. He's always giving thanks for them, continually remembering them, continually giving thanks, continually asking. And yes, there are certainly times when we withdraw by ourselves to pray, to talk to God. If you read the Gospels, Jesus gives us example after example where he often leaves the disciples to go off on his own to pray. And I believe a healthy prayer life contains both withdrawn, solitary prayer when we're by ourselves, as well as a heart that is prayerful throughout the day. What it boils down to is this, I think, and that is prayer is so much, prayer is as much a way of life as it is a moment in time. Prayer is a way of life, just as much as as it is a moment in time. Something that's always near the surface, it's always happening in us, even if we've got other stuff going on. Can't be outwardly praying. And I believe that's what Paul is describing here. And I'm certain that these are not the only things that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, but these are the ones that he decided to write down and put in a letter, which helps us know that they're important. And it's really interesting what the things are that he prays for for them, and he wants them to know. So he puts it in the letter and gives it to his friend and sends it off. It's really interesting what those things are. Paul prays for wisdom, for revelation. And that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened. Paul is asking that the God who gave power to Jesus himself will also do something powerful within these Ephesian people. And we talked last week about how when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerates us. Regenerates is a fancy word for making something new. The Holy Spirit makes us new. That's the work the Holy Spirit does right away. Something I think that's pretty common to hear someone say is, man, I just wish God would speak to me. I wish I I would do what God wanted me to do if he would just speak to me. And unfortunately, we don't hear God's audible voice much like they did in the Old Testament. You know, I think a lot of us say we wish we could hear God's voice like that, but um, there'd be no arguing, right? If God spoke to you with an audible voice, there'd be no arguing like we do today. (laughs) If he gave you the do this, please, right? There'd be no arguing. There's no interpreting that. We can interpret the scripture if we want to and try and twist it if we like. People try and do that. But there'd be no interpreting the audible voice. However, the heart of God is revealed in his word. The heart of God is revealed all over the Bible. But here's the thing. We need the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. So when we accept Christ and the Holy Spirit begins its regenerating work, the scriptures are illuminated for us. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher, interpreted it this way. He said, It's easier to teach a tiger to be a vegetarian than it is for an unbeliever to understand the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean the scriptures can't impact people who don't know the Lord. It's just that they're not illuminated in the same way as they are when you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit begins to regenerate you. God, in his infinite kindness, he works at the hardness of our hearts. He reveals the scriptures to us, his plan for us piece by piece. And we begin to experience wisdom, 
in Revelation that Paul talks about in Ephesians here. Now, wisdom, just like thankfulness is an interesting thing, wisdom is an interesting thing because wisdom is life-changing and it can be life-saving. But wisdom, you see it on the screen there, wisdom is not the same as knowledge. They're not the same thing. It is possible for us to know something as well as the day is long, but to have absolutely zero wisdom about said thing. You can know all details you want, but have zero wisdom about it. I'm going to give you an example containing one of my favorite things, and that is golden retrievers. Uh, I've talked about our golden retriever bear that we had forever, most patient dog. He was almost 15 when we had to put him to sleep, and when we very first got bear, he hadn't been around uh, cats ever, and we have this, also have this black cat, uh, Chloe. Yeah, I don't love cats, but my wife likes cats. So I went on this retreat when I was a youth pastor up in the mountains, this cabin, and uh, I, they had these kittens outside. And I thought, boy, I'll just adopt a kitten. We weren't even engaged yet. I thought, man, my girlfriend, Chandra, she will like this kitten. So got this little black kitten. I don't even know how old it was. Way too young to take away from its mom, I'm sure, because it was not happy when I stuck it in a cardboard box and put it in my pickup to take home. I brought this little cat home, and this little cat, uh, it took quite a while. In fact, it's probably still adjusting to not being in the wild. It thinks it's wild sometimes. And uh, this cat... Little, little black cat, Chloe, kind of like to rule the house. And we got Bear, this golden retriever. And Bear did not know what to make of, of the little cat, Chloe. And uh, Chloe got to be in our room, you know, sleep on the foot of the bed at night or whatever. And Bear was the sweetest dog ever. We wanted him to get to be in the room too. But the thing is, Bear, he could not stand not trapping that cat in the corner. So we'd get all settled for bed, right? And you know, we would tell Bear, you guys know dogs, right? We'd tell Bear, you can't do this. No, leave the cat alone. And just without fail, for like a couple years, he would just slowly, slowly, slowly trap the cat in the corner. <laughs> Until the cat was whacking him in the nose and growling. And he's just sitting, he's not trying to be mean, right? He just wants to, I don't know what he wanted to do, but he trapped the dang cat in the corner all the time. And every time when he got into the corner, we'd go put him in the garage. Every night for like two years, every night for 700 days. I'm convinced every night that he knew what would happen if he trapped the cat in the corner. He was going to go put it in the garage. But one day after two years, he finally figured it out. He took the knowledge and he made it some wisdom. If I don't trap the cat, I get to stay inside. It was never a problem the rest of his life. <laughs> he got to sleep inside every night the rest of his life. You see, he had the knowledge pretty quick, but it took him a couple of years to gain wisdom. For us humans, we can have knowledge all we want, even knowledge when it comes to the scriptures. We can have knowledge all we want, but wisdom is what we really need, and it often takes time to get. And it's what comes when the Holy Spirit regenerates us. When we invite God into our lives every day, the Holy Spirit regenerates and speaks. And it's, this wisdom is what we gain as we walk with Jesus day by day. And so often with us as humans, it comes down to the wisdom that we gain informing a change in our actions. If we're gaining wisdom from the scriptures, our, our, our lives are going to look different. You know, coming up against something we've struggled with or been through before, we've all got struggles. Coming up on the thing we struggle with every day and saying, you know what, I've read this book before. Today, with God's help, I'm going to write a new ending. That's what wisdom looks like, taking those scriptures and applying them to our lives. Now, Revelation goes hand in hand with wisdom in many cases. I think wisdom we often gain over time, but revelation 
is a little different. Revelation is something that can come quickly. And Paul's praying for that for the Ephesians here. When a mystery is revealed to us, we suddenly know something that we didn't know. That's what revelation is. You just, you didn't know something, and then you do. Have you ever been in the middle of something where you feel like you're missing some of the information you need? And then when you get the one piece you need, the whole puzzle just makes more sense. It's not the best feeling. This is what happens when God reveals something to us. Something that didn't previously make sense, now it does. And it often happens at salvation. People who maybe have read these words before, when they accept Christ, things that didn't make sense to them before, they do. That's what revelation is. I want to show you an example of what I mean. I kind of purposely saved some time for this. Uh, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We do have it up there. Um, it's going to be a bunch of words for them to follow. But we're going to read together Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 32. It's a pretty good chunk of scripture. Let me just set it up for you. This is after Jesus has died and he's been resurrected. Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, they've breathlessly returned from the tomb. And what did they say to the disciples? Hey, Jesus is gone. He's no longer there. What does it say? Peter, he goes to check it out. He has not found the body. And it says in Luke right before the part we're going to read, he says, it says he's wondering to himself what happened. You know, Jesus had told them he was going to be resurrected, and they didn't quite understand it. But let's read what happens here. Luke, Luke chapter 24, 13 through 32 contains one of my favorite uh, sentences in all the Bible at the end. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up. And walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? Isn't that a beautiful picture of what happens to us when we receive revelation? Were not our hearts burning within us. I knew there was something more. I knew it. 
Didn't know what it was, but I knew it. Just as Jesus revealed himself on the road that day, he reveals himself to us. And he gives us wisdom for this thing we call life, day by day. And that's what Paul is praying for them and for us, for the burning within our hearts. I encourage you, friend, when you feel the burning within your hearts, don't give up on it. Keep seeking it. When God reveals it, oh, it's incredible. Verse 18, uh, if we go back to, uh, back to Ephesians, talks about something similar, but different enough that it's worth talking about. Pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Paul prays here for enlightenment for their hearts, or quite literally, that their, their hearts would have eyes. And what is it that he is praying that their hearts would see? That they would see the hope and the inheritance that God has given us as believers. He's praying they would see God's hope. And also, uh, this is a beautiful phrase, the incomparably great power for those who believe. If you've got New King James, like I know some of you do, it says, the exceeding greatness for those who believe. He's praying for these people he dearly loves, and he's praying that their hearts would see how incredible it is to live for Christ. He's praying that they would see the peace that comes from a life lived with Jesus right in the middle of it. How there's hope that we can never imagine in the form of salvation. Inheritance that is undeserved eternal life. These are all things that Paul's praying for these people. Remember, we become part of God's family, it says in the first part of Ephesians. And that there is power available to us. Notice that Paul has now covered all three of the virtues mentioned, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, at the end of the famous love chapter, right? It says there are faith, hope, and love in 1 Corinthians 13. It talks about faith and love in verse 15 and now hope here in verse 18. So all three of these things that Paul is continually praying for on behalf of the people he loves, wisdom and revelation and enlightenment, those are things that we should pray for as well. Before we move to our final section today, I think it's really important to acknowledge that sometimes we don't seek God's illumination in our life because we think we're better than we are. We get to where, I don't know if you do this, but I sure do, we get to where we think we've got a handle on this life. We look for guidance in places besides the Word of God. Not that there's not plenty of good and godly advice and counsel out there, because there is, but an essential thing that we've got to do as Christians is have a heart of humility towards God. So essential. Continual admitting to God in our heart that we need what's in the scriptures. Continue reliance on him day by day. Even if it's a simple, maybe it's not something you do every day, but uh, you, you download the YouVersion app on your phone and you set it to show you the verse of the day every morning. And reveal something to me in this few sentences. And to be praying continually as Paul did. God, please give me understanding. This last line of verse 19, it directs us towards our final thought this morning. We see thanksgiving, and we see prayer, and now we see number three, power. The second half of verse 19 to 23 says this, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. He fills everything 
in every way. Paul really wants us to know something important here. That is this, that there is power available to us on this earth. There is power available to you as a Christian on this earth. God has proven his power to us through his son, Jesus. We see that he proves it to us in just, uh, there's four ways we see it in this little section here, and then we're going to move towards taking communion. It says that power is like the working of his mighty strength. We see that power in the very resurrection of Jesus, verse 20, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I don't have to tell you, but death is something that every single person who has ever been born will face. There's a couple of examples in the Old Testament of people being taken to heaven. But other than that, every single one of us are going to face death at some point. But because of his power, God has done uh, what man can't do. You can go to the best hospital, the best whatever, but God has defeated death. God has done what man can't do. There's no one on earth that can do this, but God, by his mighty hand, has done it. And because Jesus is not in the grave, because he was raised from the dead, our life can have meaning that it could never have had before. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, our life can have meaning that it could never have had before. And Christ being raised from the dead is what gives us that hope that Paul was talking about in verse 18. Friends, no matter where we turn, what we do, what theological argument we get into, we've got to remember every single day that Jesus is not in that grave. We can be victorious in our everyday life because Jesus is not in that grave. God's defeated death. Death has been defeated, and like we were singing in Living Hope a little while ago, it has no hold on us. So that power of God is shown in the resurrection of Jesus. It's also shown in Christ's enthronement. Using some big church words today, Christ's enthronement. It says in verse 20 that God has seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You see, Jesus is not only alive, but he's taken his position as the one who rules and reigns over us. And being seated at God's right hand means that Jesus is in a, is in a position of honor and power. And this was one of the things that made the Pharisees want to crucify Jesus, right? When he said he was going to be at the right hand of God. Psalm 110 uh, verse 1, way back in the Old Testament, said this. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You see, because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, everything is now under his power. When he sat down next to his father, everything became under his power. And if everything is under his power, what does that mean? That means that we can trust him with all of our problems. If it's all under God's power, we can trust him with all of our problems. Large, small, everything in between. We also see power in Christ's supremacy. This is a little bit similar to Christ being seated at God's right hand, but I want us to notice how specific Paul is here. Verse 21 22, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. You see, because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, it gives him power above these things. It gives him power above creation. All of us, everything on this earth. It gives him power above heaven and everything below. It gives him power above every name and earthly power. And that final line is important. Everything is under his feet. And here's why it's important, because it means that even the power of Satan and his plans are subject to his power. 
Know this, friends, when you know the one who is supreme over all, you have access to power. When you know Jesus, you have access to the same power. And finally, and this is important for us sitting here today, we see power in the fact that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of this church and the church all over the world. Verse 22 and 23 says this, He appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And I think it's really interesting that it doesn't say that all creation is his body. It only says that the church is his body. So what does that tell us? It tells us the church should be important because Jesus identifies himself with it. If Jesus thinks it's important, then we should probably think it's important. And not just our church, but God's church as a whole. Uh, I believe, friends, that uh, it can be a dangerous thing for Christians to cease being a part of a church. You can be a Christian without going to church. It's definitely possible. But I believe it's dangerous not in the least because Jesus identifies himself with the church in this scripture. But Jesus cares about it, and so should we. But we need to make sure that we don't get it confused because the head of the church is not any man, but Christ himself. We are his body, and Christ is the head of the church. This church, every church in the Treasure Valley, we say the Big C Church. Christ is the head of this church, and he's the head of the churches that met this morning in bomb shelters in Ukraine. Subway tunnels that they've turned into churches. Now, God uses us as his servants to lead and to bring people to him, to the church. But make no mistake, Jesus is at the head of the church. And the last things it says there is, speaks of Christ's fullness. You see, Jesus is the one who fills us. It's not the other way around. Jesus is the one who fills us to overflowing. And what makes the church incredible is simply the relationship that we have with him. What makes the church incredible is not a great building, although it's nice to have a building. It's not great music, although it's nice to have good music. It's not good preaching, although it's nice to have good preaching. Not that God doesn't use those things, but what makes us different than the world is Christ in us. What makes every one of you different when you go into your workplace, wherever you go, is Christ in you. So we see in this last section of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is thankful. Paul prays continuously and that there's power in the mighty name of Jesus. This morning, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to prepare to take communion in a moment. Um, we're going to reflect on Jesus' death and resurrection. We're going to reflect on the hope we have and his salvation. Uh, would you all just bow your heads, close your eyes in this place for a moment. Let's just take a moment and allow the Lord to speak what he wants to speak before we, uh, we continue on. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, this morning you'd speak to every heart here. Uh, Lord, you let us be resurrected, uh, raised to life all over again today. Lord, there are those here that are far from you. I pray that you'd reach them today. I pray that your unending grace and mercy would find them. 